Welcome to episode 381 with my return guest, Melissa Broder. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am a bona fide jackass, and maybe you are too. Maybe you'll listen in and you'll go, wow, there are other jackasses in the world. Maybe life is worth living. Or you'll listen and you go, thank God I'm not as fucked up as that guy. I feel suddenly awesome. Uh, the website for our uh, show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter and Instagram you can, uh, you can follow me at. Um, Europe, brace yourselves. I'm coming ashore. I don't know who that character is, but I picture him in a sailor suit, twirling his hair. Um, July 12th through roughly the end of of July, um, I'm going to be bouncing around Europe recording non-Americans, but the focus of the trip is going to be Ireland. And one of the places I want to go especially is, um, it's actually not technically Ireland, it's Northern Ireland, which is part of uh, Great Britain, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I want to go there and I want, I'm not really sure where to begin. I have a couple of people I'm reaching out to that I want to interview, but um, i I've always been fascinated with Northern Ireland since um, the 70s. I went to a grade school that was primarily Irish Catholic, and we were always hearing news about what was going on with the hunger strikes. And uh, I remember there was a kid in our class that just came briefly from, I don't remember if he came from Northern Ireland or Ireland, but he, his name was Brendan Kelly, and he came for like two years. And I remember he, he said that he had like 11 brothers and sisters, and th- they slept three of them in a single twin bed. Um, and then they had to move away a couple of years later. And, and I said, why? And he said, um, because uh, abortion is legal here, and my father doesn't want to live in a country where abortion is legal. Um, and I didn't really understand uh, what I had heard the term abortion before, but um, it was a little too big for me to wrap my head around. Um, so I said, does that mean you're playing dodgeball or not? And he said, no. And I said, goodbye. I don't remember what... What happened is that there is a special awkwardness to kids. I mean, kids are awkward to begin with. Um, but when it's a situation that itself is awkward, uh, that's just always so. Like there was a kid uh, tonight uh, that came to join his uh his dad at my support group meeting, and he was doing that kid thing where they're their face is just completely expressionless and they're walking kind of slumped over and not moving their arms. 
I love the the kind of lack of self-awareness that looks funny from the outside, but I'm also a little bit jealous of it because to be self-conscious is, is or maybe the kid is self-conscious, um, and that's why he's walking like that. But um, anyway, I'm digressing. The thing that I wanted to share was a memory that came back to me. Oh, okay, getting back to uh, Northern Ireland. So I would love to interview some people, um, particularly people that work in the mental health field and have had experience um, either personally living through the troubles, as they call it up there, um, or um, somebody who has a lot of... um, either personal experience or in treating people who have had mental struggles because of the, the, the troubles, which I would imagine is probably 90% of the country. But I'm really looking uh, forward to it because I, I can't wait to see Cromwell's handiwork. Um, I had a memory come back to me that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Uh, a couple of days ago, and it was when I was 19 years old, and I was going to uh, a hockey game. Uh, I was living in Chicago, and my friends and I went to see uh, our team, the Chicago Blackhawks, and we were drinking beer, um, which was underage, and some policemen arrested us. We were parked in the parking lot at what was then the uh, Chicago Stadium, and they put us in the squad car. Actually, I don't even know if it was a squad car. It might have been an undercover car. And they said, if you have any drugs, give them to us right now uh, and you won't get in trouble. And we gave them our pot. Of course, looking back now, I was, I'm thinking, oh, that's what these guys did. They didn't really give a shit that we were underage drinking. They were probably just going to take whatever drugs they could get and turn around and sell them. Welcome to Chicago. And they put us in jail at 35th and Wood, which for, if you're not from Chicago, um, it is one of the roughest areas. You know, if you were to make a list of the top 10 most dangerous areas in Chicago, 35th and Wood would probably be in the top three. And so here we are, five teenagers, you know, jeans and polo shirts from the suburbs, um, in jail at 35th and Wood, and they crammed us all into a tiny little cell. And I remember looking and thinking, wow, this kind of looks like Barney Miller, because there were desks right nearby, the cells, they fingerprinted us. I don't remember. I guess they took our mug shots as well. But the TV was on and the hockey game was playing. And so we were trying to watch it. And they brought in a prostitute. She was black. She's probably in her early 30s. And they handcuffed her to a wall. And she was screaming and she was vomiting. And I 
imagine that she was withdrawing from some type of drug, but she screamed and screamed and screamed. And it was so heartbreaking, yet I had to keep this shell up of, you know, I'm a cynical 19-year-old tough guy. And the reason I bring this up is because I want to talk about shame. And I said something about, you know, we're trying to hear the game, knowing it was wrong, but seeing an opportunity for me to focus attention on myself and look hard and funny. And, and I felt, I felt shame at the time. And I've had many, many moments in my life when I, when I did that, when I threw somebody under the bus to try to make myself stand out. And, and I still feel some shame to this day, uh, about that. And, we eventually got out of jail probably about five or six hours later. We didn't have enough money to bail ourselves out, and they wound up putting us in the men's section of the jail. And fortunately, it was just us in our own cell, but in the cell next to us was a pedophile who was hallucinating that he was God. And he just, and you could smell his body odor, and he was just at the top of his lungs um, bellowing that he was God and he was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it would dovetail slowly into this pervy thing about fucking little girls. And he just, it was like it was on a loop for four hours of this guy doing it. And of course, you know, that was a wide open door for the insecure me to wisecrack and pretend that I wasn't sad and shocked that there was this whole new world that I was discovering that night. And the thing about shame that, that I've discovered, because I have so much in my life that I wish that I could take back, I was thinking about shame and I thought, you know, it, it really is kind of a form of fantasy because we tell ourselves that by shaming ourselves, it's a way of disciplining ourselves so that we don't do something again. But it's not really necessary. It's, it's like if you, I'm going to go wake somebody up it's like you, you would just keep shaking them for five minutes after they immediately woke up. No, your conscience just needs to be awakened. It doesn't need to be pulverized. And it reminds me of fantasy. In my opinion, a fantasy is that it serves a purpose sometimes when it's used to, to deal with trauma of distracting us from reality or the truth and to keep us focused on ourselves as, as a way of surviving. And I think in a way, shame can fool us into thinking that this is 
the healthy way to become a better person. But uh, as I've said on this podcast before, I've never met somebody who has shamed themselves into being a better person. Um, and I know there are people out there, I read it in the surveys all the time, people who are battling shame every day. And, you know, sometimes it's no longer about us. It's about, okay, what did I learn from it? Let's move forward and try to be a better person. But obsessing about ourselves does not help the situation because then we have even less energy to try to be of use to people we love or the world around us. This is an awfulsome moment um, filled out by a woman who calls herself Amazon Prime made me buy 60 condoms. And she writes, um, The day that my order of 60 condoms arrived was the day I decided I probably didn't want to fuck him anymore. But I'm so cheap that I don't want them to go to waste, so I think I should just keep fucking him. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by a, uh, and I want to read this because uh, he mentions BetterHelp and they're one of our sponsors. And he calls himself not depressed enough to warrant the attention. And his his happy moment is, he writes, I've been dealing with depression and anxiety for a long time, more seriously in the past year or so. Now, having a lot of money or insurance, I've been doing self-study via articles and podcasts to try to at least understand what I'm going through. At your constant behest, I started the sign-up process for BetterHelp.com. As I was going through the entrance survey, I realized that during the, in the past two weeks, how often have you felt blank? dot, 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 section uh, that you always see in these types of surveys, I couldn't justify putting nearly every day anymore and downgraded to more than half the days. I don't know if this is what recovery looks like, but this little crumb of progress makes me feel like there is hope. First of all, I wanted to give you a high five, and of course, I want to plug betterhelp.com, but that is what recovery looks like in my in my experience. It's just little baby steps, and it's a lot of two steps forward, one step back. But just like Andy Richter said in the previous week's episode, just keep going at it, man. Just keep getting up and dusting yourself off. It's not about the mistakes. It's about how we handle, you know, falling down. Um, so if you're interested in BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and then fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. And again, that's betterhelp.com slash mental. And uh, please remember to include the slash mental because then they'll know you came from this podcast. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls, uh, actually she's a teenager, calls herself uh, the journaler, and she writes, I'm not the skinniest girl on the planet, and it's been a deep source of insecurity for me since elementary school. A few weeks ago, I overheard a boy in my trig class making terrible fat jokes about me to his friend. I was humiliated and could feel my stomach turning. I rushed over to the teacher to ask if I could go to the bathroom. When she looked up from her grading, she immediately heard what was happening, called the guy to the back of the class, and sent him to the main office. She ended up assigning him a 10-page essay on body image, fat shaming, and misogyny. She also forced him to write me a long apology note. 
it was very sweet. It was a very sweet and thoughtful note, and he was the embarrassed one after all was said and done. Thank goodness for awesome teachers that can turn awful moments into teaching opportunities. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom. People-pleasing. Dread. Silent, invisible. Just wailing. Stuck in the grip of the obsession. Derealization. Depersonalization. The suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get. You know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scottface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. To vulnerability uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Melissa Broder, who was on our podcast, our podcast. Yes, there's a team of us. Uh, You were on the podcast about two years ago? Two years ago. And um, you had a book out called So Sad Today, which is the Twitter handle that uh, most of you probably know her from. And I just read your new book, The Pisces. So funny. Uh, Your Melissa's other book was real kind of essays. Yes. Written first person. And uh, this is written first person, but it's fiction, but clearly informed by your, your personal life. And it's, it's so it's fr- good. It's friction. Yeah, friction. <laughs> it's fiction-ish. Um, can, can you, let's just kick it off by you reading an excerpt from it. Is there anything you want to do to set it? Set it up. You know, I f- I hate when people do the setting because I'm like, if you have to read the setting, then like the text. Right. No, I'm not setting anything up. Okay, I'm just going in. Okay, all right. Um, I think as a poet, I'm always like, eh, because like one time I saw PJ Harvey mm-hmm. perform and she didn't like. There was no banter, and I was like, that's the way it should be. You know, keep the mystery. Yeah, and just like your work is your thing. Like like it's like take from it what you will. Yeah. Yeah. How was she live? Oh, she's the best. Yeah. I've seen her a couple times. Unreal. Do you like PJ Harvey? I do. I, I don't know a ton of her work, but whenever, whenever I've seen her, she feels so authentic and just like she's her own thing and you don't like it, fuck off. Totally. You know? I think uh, her and Bjork live on an island. Yes. Not give a fuck island. Yes. Yeah, PJ Harvey, like, only, like, I once read something where she, like, she only eats potato, like, or she was in a phase where she was only eating potatoes, which I can, like, so identify with, just, like, the only eating of one food. For me, it's not potatoes, but I was, like, potatoes and jam, and she was, like, or she was, like, making jam and eating, only eating potatoes, and I was, like, I get it. (laughs) Like, I get it. I am right there with her. Yeah, so, um, but okay. So let's see. Did I say the name of your book, The Pisces? You said it. All right. All right. Um, Walking on Abbot Kinney Boulevard one night at the end of my first week in Venice, passing the windows of the yuppie shops, each their own white cube gallery, I saw two people, a man and a woman, 
early 20s maybe, definitely on a first or second date, and I knew I still wasn't okay. They were discussing intently where they should go to eat and drink, as though it really mattered. He had an accent, German, I think, and was handsome and fuckable, hair close-cropped and boyish, strong arms, an Adam's apple that protruded and made me think of sucking on it. Her visage, when she turned her head to talk to the man, was hard and pronounced, with a jutting nose and chin, but she had good hair and a hot body to save her. She wore a pair of tiny navy silk shorts, from which the very bottom of her ass cheeks protruded ever so slightly. You almost felt compelled to touch them. Everything she said was filtered through her own awareness of how good her ass looked. The words she spoke merely an afterthought compared to the glory at the bottom of those shorts. She was almost like a vehicle for shorts and an ass. She sort of danced a little down the sidewalk and flicked her hair. He was no better. He asked stupid questions. So how long have you been here? And do you like it? But every question was a chance to put his own hotness into action. <laughs> Why were they even bothering to speak? Who had time for all of this? Why weren't they just fucking right there out in the open? The entire performance was merely a vessel for something else. It was nothingness. Sure, compared to the greater nothingness, the void, the lack of explicit meaning in life, the fact that none of us knows what is going on here, it was at least something. Their engagement in this dance of elevating a stupid restaurant to high levels of importance, discussing kombucha, Making the fleeting matter, the shorts, all of these were a fuck you to emptiness. Or perhaps these details were symptomatic of their ignorance of nothingness. Was nothingness so imperceptible to them that these things could matter? Could anyone be totally ignorant of the void? Didn't all of us have an awareness of it, a brush with it, perhaps only once or twice, like at a funeral for someone very close to you, when you walked out of the funeral home and it stopped making sense for just a blip that you existed? Or perhaps a bad mushroom trip, where one's fellow trippers looked like plastic? Could there be people on this earth who never stopped for a moment, not once, to say, what is everything? Whether these were those people or not, I knew that in this moment neither of them was asking that question. If they had tasted the nausea of not knowing why we are here, or who we are, or if they had not, now they were willfully and successfully ignoring it. Or maybe they were just stupid. Oh, the sweet gift of stupidity. I envied them. But really, I knew that everything came down to her shorts. <laughs> All of the answers were in that ass line, the reduction of all fear, all unknown, all nothingness, eclipsed by that ass line. It was holding its own in all of this. It was just existing as though living was easily, as though living was easy. The ass line didn't really have to do anything, but it was running the whole show. All dialogue began and ended at that ass line. The direction of their evening, their conversation, and in a way, the universe ended there. I hated them. 
I hated their ease with everything. I hated their lack of loneliness, their sense of time stretching out languidly like something to be toyed with, as though it were never going to get too late tonight or in their lives. I didn't know who I resented more, the man or the woman. I'll stop there. One of the things that I love that you write about and obviously you tackle in this book is the difficult to describe emptiness and how to fill it with something that doesn't make us emptier a half hour later. Mm. Talk about, talk about that. Um, Sure. Somebody who only knows you from just reading that, um, I want them to to understand that this is a battle within your character. Your character realizes that there's this shallow part of her that she doesn't like, but it kind of drives her, the animal part of her, is that fair to say? Yes. And her decision-making, or at least her ruminating about what decision to make. And it's this war between this philosophical intelligence and this animal ignorance that is so I have to assume universal because I relate to it talk talk about that sure so well first of all if I were going to say like what is the Pisces what is this book it's a story of a woman who moves to Venice Beach um, following a breakup and a uh, breakdown after the breakup. And um, upon moving to Venice Beach, um, becomes romantically uh, obsessed with a merman. Um, so that's like I w- what I would say textually the book is about. Um, thematically, I'd say the book is uh, the question of whether you can fill the existential hole with romantic obsession. So... I'm a person who I don't know if all I'm, I don't know that if all people have the existential hole. I'm going to guess yes, but for myself, I do. I'm very aware of it. Um, there is a a hunger, um, and throughout my life, I've tried to fill up that existential hole with many, many things: um, drugs and alcohol. We've discussed this on the last podcast. Um, it worked really well. Um, until it didn't, and I got sober 13 years ago. Um, I have tried to fill it since then, um, and and prior to that as well. Um, I have tried to fill it up with um, sex, sugar, um, validation, success, accomplishment, um, the internet. Um, there, you know, as a human being, I am probably for the rest of my life not going to stop looking outside myself to tangible solutions for what is a spiritual problem um because like let's be honest who the fuck wants to like turn to god you know it's not my first choice it is not my first instinct to be like i feel empty um let's embrace the emptiness or let's turn to a nebulous being or let's um meditate i do have a meditation practice um i do it daily but that's not what i like think to turn to i think to like let's fill that existential hole with dick you know let's fill that existential hole with um some internet validation and as as the longer i've been sober the road gets narrower and narrower so now it's like i can cobble together this shitty party out of um 
you know, like Nicorette gum. I'm back on caffeine because my newer, I, I started a new medit. like, okay, so I meditated for like many, many years. And then last August, I felt like I had hit a wall. So I, for my birthday, I invested some money in my meditation practice. And I started, now I'm meditating like this new modality that I'm doing. It's like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, which is a lot of meditation. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always fucking meditating. Like, I'm like, I can't believe it's time to meditate again. But, is it TM? Um, it is. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm into it. Um, it's cool. But, um, you know, um, because of this new meditation practice, I think it's relieved some of my anxiety. So now I can drink caffeine again, which is like awesome. I have this new drug back. I'm so happy to have this drug back in my Why life. Why had you given it up? Oh, panic attacks. Okay. Yeah. Um, for years. And I love caffeine, but it was like, I couldn't. So, you know, there, but there's like, right. So I can stick all these things in the hole. Oh, recently, like with the anxiety of the book, I decided I'm having a style crisis. So I like channeled it into shopping. I've been trying to like get the right shoe in the existential hole. <laughs> I bought the same pair of mules and returned them like five times in different colors. You know, whatever. We can do these things. Mules are shoes. Mules are shoes. Okay. Mules are like a really cute, like it's like a, it's like a clog, but not hippied out. Okay. It's like a backless shoe. Okay. Um, in any event. So this book in particular is, though, about something that I have, you know, it's specifically about trying to fill that void with um, fantasy, um, romantic obsession, sex, and love. The book, I, I don't want to give too much away, but I don't think this is a plot thing that, that I'm giving away. Um, but the moment when she can't stand being with her boyfriend her living boyfriend anymore and she says i think we need some time apart and he says i think that's a great idea and she panics and realizes now she wants him and she's made a terrible mistake i mean what a textbook love addict moment talk talk about that Sure. I mean, actually, it's funny because that the breakup that she goes through, my character, Lucy, um, I mean, uh, when when something is drawn from my life, I am like always, you know, up for the that's a breakup. I had classic breakup of mine, 19 years old um, with Josh, my boyfriend in college. Um, It had been a year of wonderful um, psychedelic exploration. Um, but I started, um, I started getting really fat. Um, I, my food issues, um, kind of took over midway through that relationship. And, um, so I started kind of, you know, I was self-soothing with food anyway. So, um, I felt that I was in this rut with him. And of course, like I felt that it was because of him. So, um, I got a flat tire in the book. Lucy gets a flat tire. Um, he couldn't fix it like neither physically nor spiritually. And, um, I was like, you know, I just felt like at the end of my tether, I'd been high probably for like two years. And I was just like, (laughs) maybe we should just take a break. And I was kind of, I I'd say I was 30% like wanting to break up with him. 30% like just wanting some feeling of adrenaline and 30% wanting that, that, joyous experience of when you uh, push someone away and they, they, they say no come back but unfortunately he did not say come back he said that is a great idea and the moment he said that um, the 30% of me that had wanted to break up with him disappeared and um, what flooded in was 100% um, 
now I must work to get him back. And I spent the next like two or three years um, doing various things to try to get him back, going, being off and on with him. I would see him and I'd be like, wait, he has a rat tail. Like it's not, you know, my <laughs> fantasy of him is not like what he is. He had a rat tail at that point, like some sort of weird mullet hair. But when I was apart from him, I, I was away from him for four months while we were broken up. I was, I was like, all I could do was fantasize about us getting back together. And during that time, um, my food addiction like got worse and my, or like food issues, I'll call it. I don't even know if it's food. I don't know. I mean, my, my, my chaotic relationship with food is like my oldest relationship. It's like my longest, most dear between restriction and binging and all that stuff. So, um, but it got worse. I gained a lot of weight. Um, and I got really into astrology, um, 19 years old, I started studying astrology as a way to like try to manipulate the universe into getting him back. And since that time, how'd that work out? Well, um, it didn't in the end. And, you know, but I also, um, and I learned a lot of information also about just like trying to manipulate the universe in general. Cause that's to me what astrology, what it was mm-hmm. since then I really have given up on astrology. Um, but I'm sort of like somebody who grows up Catholic, like really intensely Catholic, and then gives it up, um, but is still terrified of hell. So like within like five minutes of meeting anyone, I'm usually like, what's your sign? And I write horoscopes for a newsletter for Len- Lenny-, Lenny Letter. Um, so it's like still very much infused. So I'm like, I don't believe in any of this, but it's still very much part of who I am. So the book is is the Pisces because Lucy is a Pisces. Um, her boyfriend, who she breaks up with, is a Sagittarius. I mean, I don't even know what the hell they were doing together in the first place. Because Pisces, what are what are you, by the way? I'm a Capricorn. Oh, so who should I be looking for? All right. So if astrology is real, which we don't know, um, you would be with a Pisces um, or a Virgo. Like basically one of, so Pisces um, or Scorpio would be your soul signs because they're like two signs away from you or a Virgo or a Taurus because they're both air signs. So Virgo, Taurus, Scorpio um, and Pisces. And which would be the worst one? I mean, there's so many worst ones, but I would say for you, Aquarius, not good. Sag, not good. Um, the fire signs, Aries, mm-mm. Um, not great. Not great. That's so funny. The one of the ones that you mentioned is a, a girl that I had a crush on and still kind of do have a crush on since first grade. One of the worst or one of the best? Um, it, you don't want to reveal. No, it, it, the moments that I was able to satiate my crush on her was fantastic, but I could never get enough. And even though there are parts of her that her personality that are repellent to me, there is something about her that is just like catnip. And is she, what's her sign? Uh, she is a November. So she's Scorpio. Um, or she's Sag. I think she's Sagittarius. I think it's, is like, it early November or late November? 
because early Scorpio, super late would be Sag. But see, this is why astrology, you know, it can be molded and mushed. Because if you were like, she's a Sag, I'd be like, oh, well, then that's why it never worked out between the two of you and she's totally wrong for you. And if it's Scorpio, I'd be like, well, that's why you're so drawn to her. Because, you know, I mean, it's like there's a million ways to slice this onion. And to distract yourself from your pain. Love. I mean... Isn't that really what it is? Oh, the beauty. And and really that illusion of control. Which, like, who doesn't want that? You know, the brain, we want to compartmentalize shit. We want to, like, make sense of this shit. Yeah. We hate that the house has an advantage. Yeah. It's like, how can I count cards? How can I count cards? That will make me safe. Totally. If I can just count cards. Or, like, leave the casino. (laughs) Leave the casino. But like when, but you know, it's like leaving the casino is scary because like what's outside? Yeah. I don't have the courage to leave the casino. Yeah. A couple of people have seen the taxi stand. Couple have. Yeah. But yeah. are they lying? I don't know. It's That's supposed to be a big white light. I also feel like anyone who, whenever people have certainty, I mean, aside from the people who have had near death experiences, which like good for them and hopefully it is, hopefully it is a white light. Like I, if it's a white light. I mean, that would be great. As long as it's not a strobe. Oh, God. Or like LED or something. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, honestly, like, I really hope it's like soothing, soothing nirvana. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really scared of death as much as I'm scared of the die. Like, the dying, death, I'm like, fine. You know, I can't even, like, think about that at this point. But the dying thing. I, the drawn I, out I, suffering. I find it really unfair that some people get to, like, die a peaceful death in their sleep. Mm-hmm. But m- some people don't. Like, I wish there was a way to, like, kind of secure that, you know? I want to secure that. Batten down the hatches. But, yeah. But in general... Is there I'm, an app for that? Oh, that would be amazing. Yes. Like, two ninety nine, Or is it free? I think people would pay. The death app. I think you could easily get five ninety nine. Definitely. Peaceful death. Yeah. Peaceful death app. Yeah. But, like, what would the reviews be like? Like, I guess you couldn't review it yourself. And most ghosts aren't big on reviewing things. Yeah. They're like five stars. <laughs> would would try this again? The death app. Um, but in general, like when people are sort of have a lot of certainty about the world or about the way things are or should be, I'm very mistrustful of that. In general, um, I don't trust certitude. I don't like it. Yeah. I like beginner's mind. You know, I like people who know that they don't know shit. Those are the people for me. God, what was the quote that I heard recently? I think it was Stephen Hawking. And he said, oh, I'm going to butcher it. But essentially what he was saying was um, intelligence isn't knowledge. Intelligence is admitting that you don't really have knowledge. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yes. And he did it through a voice box. Amen. Um, That's it, right? The knowing we know nothing. And I feel like there's so much... That's a terrifying place. There's a lot of certitude. The knowing we know nothing. What what do you feel like? What comes up? You know, one of the things I asked Melissa to do is I said, I I think it would be really fun for our episode to center around you and I just trading loves and and fears. And one of the biggest fears I have is looking stupid. Um, And obviously a lot of people have that, but it's very central 
to me. For some reason, knowledge feels like power mm. to me. What what does lack of knowledge feel like to you? I tend, you know, I tend to sort of, um, I like not being a joiner. Like I think, and that is pro- me, my pride in, and what I mean by that is, or not being a leader, like not, like when you said lack of knowledge, I, for some reason, just immediately imagine like being in a group and somebody's, and like there's, we're, you're trying to build something. And people are like clamoring with the sort of like, okay, no, we're going to do it this way. No, we're going to do it this way. And I'm on the outside making jokes. And, but I have to tell you, I'm going to guess that my tendency to take pride in being the outsider and on the outside making jokes probably ultimately boils down to a fear of not knowing. And so it's like, Fear well, of I'm being rejected ch- for not knowing. Right, that I would be rejected for not knowing. So I'm just going to like, conf- I'm going to admit my not knowing now and I'm going to celebrate it. Like, I think it probably in part is a defense mechanism. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like if I have a, like a, a giant zit, I'm going to point it out to everybody. Right. The moment I see them so that like, or, or a flaw in myself, I'm going to like confess it all because I, at least it's, there's an illusion of control over the way it's perceived. Yes. If I address it first, then I own it. If you address it first, not only am I ugly, but I'm stupid. Yeah. When you mentioned PJ Harvey, I remember watching her on MTV. Beyond that, I know nothing about her. But in that moment, I was afraid of looking stupid and like I am ignorant culturally. And so I kind of exaggerated how familiar I am with her because that felt like the right thing to do in that moment. And as I was saying it, the voice in my head was going, what are you doing? You're such a fraud. You, you know two of her songs from MTV and you don't even know the names of them. You just know that Madonna was crazy about her and you thought, well, she must be interesting. And like... Imagine if you had said to me, like, oh, I know everything about her life. I might have not talked about the potatoes. And, like, you might not have known, you know, like, if you had gone further in your knowledge. Like, if you had, like, dug down, you know, like, hung. You know, I get that. I mean, sometimes I, I lie and say, when people ask if I've seen, like, a movie, I lie and say yes just so I, they don't recommend me anything or tell me I have to see something. Because anytime someone Well, that's different. Yeah. But, no. That's but I, just efficiency. Well, it's efficiency and it's also, like... Usually when people recommend me stuff, I'm like, this is the fucking worst. Like anytime someone recommends me something, I'm like, oh, it's going to be awful. Um, you know, are I'm, they ever, are you ever wrong mm, or do you never try it? Half and half. Mm-hmm. I always think I'm open-minded, but I guess I'm pretty close-minded. <laughs> I'm like, anytime someone recommends me something, I know it's going to be shit. Well, you know what? Because so much is shit. And do you think that's why you dislike people that have certitude? Because you see that in yourself? Totally. Yeah. Probably. Like, maybe in all of, like, maybe in all of my professing that I do not have certitude and I dwell in the realm of beginner's mind and I know that I don't know. I have certitude, but what my certitude is, is that like the world is stupid, you know, um, I don't know that my certitude is that I have the answer. Although I guess in having certitude about like the world being stupid, maybe I do have that arrogance that like, I know that it's better to like, I have a confidence, like don't engage. It's better to not engage. And isn't that the safe, easy choice 
to criticize rather than to embrace something at the risk of looking gullible or naive or saccharine? Definitely. Definitely. So what do you think the fear is in that? Did, did you, I don't want to get all psychology on you, but was, was it unsafe for you emotionally growing up to be excited and vulnerable and crazy about things, joyous? Totally. I mean, even now, it's with my parents. I mean, it's like when I bring them something, like, look at this success or look at this, and it's like there's this little child spirit in me, like, okay, now it's going to be the thing. You know, it's going to, this is going to be the thing that, like, makes my dad have happiness and feel and not, not have depression and make my mother um, be enough, make me be enough for my mother, you know? Um, and then I feel so dumb when I don't mm. get the, like, wow, that's great, you know? When my mom's just like, well, but what, you know, what about why I haven't you had a baby? You know, <laughs> like that. So, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say, yes. yeah. Have you ever told them how you feel about that? Yeah. And how'd that go? Um, I mean, you, you can't really, like... You can't really. It's like describing color to somebody that has never seen color. Some people are just incapable of certain um, things. Yeah. Certain interactions. Yeah. Like it's kind of, yeah, no, there's not going to be, no. It's like, bless you, change me because. They're certain. There ain't no change in them. They're cert- they have certitude about what is important. Oh, my mother certainly has certitude. And actually my father um, is I am my father is like a basement dweller like he has a very cynical really humorous take on the world and like um, like my father is the kind of person who like two years ago was like you know what's a great show The Sopranos like as though he's like he the just first, discovered yes it. and like he has discovered it you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or like that. Like, Michael Jordan is a hell of a basketball yeah, player. Yeah, and you're like, wow. Or like four years ago, so he was like, yeah, it was a great movie, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and it's just you know, and and um, so I see. But I think my father was always like seemed real cool to me growing up, and he was he was very loving growing up. Like he was definitely the place where I got like the nurturing. So growing up, it was like we were. Like, him and I were us, you know, and my sister, too. Like, we were all us, and then the world was them. But then when my sister and I became adults, we're no longer us. Like, it's like my father is him, and we're them, because we're, we're adults. We're part of the world You're now. out of the basement. We're, we are out of the basement, you know? Yeah. But my dad was like a cigarette, you know, he's... He smoked cigarettes in the basement and like he loved loved Bob Dylan and was like, you know, had a very sarcastic, like biting sense of humor. And to me, that was just like so cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when you say it was us kind of against them, where was your mom in this thing? She just wasn't kind of hip. She's a them. But my father like would kind of take her side too, you know, like, um, out of obligation or because he genuinely felt that way? I think he just wanted peace. Gotcha. So the quickest route to like having peace. Um, and the biggest thing with my mom, which I'm sure I've talked about on the show um, the last time, was like it was the food stuff. You mm. know, it was like, um, and not there not being a boundary between like my body and hers and just sort of obsession with like you must be skinny and, you know, that whole thing. Do you think that informed some of your sex addiction um where do you think where do you think that comes from the sex addiction and the love addiction 
and what do you um, I mean, may, maybe I'm doing too much pathologizing, right. um, but for me, it's more just philosophizing. I'm mm. not trying to, you know, say this definitely came from there, but I'm endlessly fascinated on why we have the struggles or flaws that, that we do. Well, certainly I would, it's so funny cause I've, um, I would say that my first addiction besides like food stuff was fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that is probably like more than sex, definitely more than love. Like I am a fantasy addict. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to live in another realm. Reality is not my thing. Um <laughs> I will That is so going in the montage of audio bites yeah. for next year. Reality is not my thing. Fuck, that is so funny. Yeah, it's so relatable. Oh my God, totally. Like, ew. And I never knew what to do with reality from day one. Reality has a hairy back when you get to know it. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to like drape it in like lots of sexy garments and and Mm. whatnot. Um, So it's kind of more like sex and love are a vehicle for you to stay in fantasy. Yes. Where it's like the fantasy is of sex and love. But then like, you know, sex and love are never like what. No. The fantasy is always better than the Always. It is all about the fantasy and it's about sustaining that fantasy. You know, because um, like Lucy, like in the book where she um, once she sort of. Like when she's with her boyfriend, she's like, ugh. But then when he when they're apart, she's like, come hither, you know. And it's that sort of because when you when you're in a, like a real relationship, how you can't turn that person into a drug. Like you, there's no fantasy there. Like when you're buying toilet paper for the per, you know, it's just it's life. And it's like, yes. who wants life? And and it's a form of objectification. Uh, you know, when I started going into support groups for. Um, sex addiction, love addiction, fear of intimacy, um, I began to hear women share about how they objectify men, and it tends to be in a slightly different way, but they're still reducing that person's humanity to a character that fits into the script in their head while ignoring who that person actually is. And, Absolutely. Um, it it uh, that was a revelation to me, and that was kind of comforting to to know. Um, uh, there was something I wanted to. Oh, I had this image of. I'm always trying to figure out a way to describe to somebody what it's like to have a fear of intimacy and to do that dance of go away, come back, go away, come back, and it's two people with their heads through different parts of a ladder and coming kind of coming towards each other mm-hmm. and going towards each and it's like th- there's this distance that is there no matter how hard either party tries mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating yeah because you think it's it's reality and it's really about them leaving the toilet seat up or you know not going to the concert you wanted them to go to or whatever it is. Or just like being present. Like, ew, like I don't want my partner to be present. Like I want to be like in the corner on the internet, like by myself, like just, but then if he goes away, I'm like, like I was surprised actually. Like recently he went away and I was like, I was like, Oh my God. You're married. I'm married. Yes. I'm married. And, um, I've been monogamous since 
the last show since prior to the last show um it had been a struggle before then well we were monogamous for five years then we had an open relationship for five Mm -hmm. and then we've been monogamous for i guess it's three or four and was that a joint decision yes okay yeah um i mean joint because i kind of like burned down the house and he was like you let your side bitch settle in and can't be trusted and i was like I think we need to be monogamous because I don't know that I won't do it again. And, I see. Because yeah. you, could, you couldn't do it in a, in a uh, nuanced, In a casual moderate, way. Right. I'm not really good at casual. I don't know like what that is. It's zero or ten. There's no five. Either like, the sex is terrible and well, then it's easy to be casual. Like, right. I have sex with someone and it's like the worst. Ex- Sometimes, you know, it's funny. Like, in the height of my sort of dalliances with younger men... Sometimes I would be so relieved if the sex was bad because then I didn't have to obsess or pine, mm. you know. But then I'd just be like, why am I not just home like fucking my husband? What would make sex with somebody good or sex with somebody bad? And what was it about a younger men uh, other than having a younger body? Or was that it? Um, well, I, it's funny. Sex, good sex is hard to define. Mm-hmm. Bad sex, very easy to define for me. Um, I'm not attracted. I'm not turned on. I'm faking. Um, I'm worrying more about, which is like all the time. I'm worrying more about like them, you know, that their experience of it than my own experience. Um, I'm waiting for it to be over. Um, and you write about it so well. Yeah, in there's, this, I can read a bad sex scene too at some point. Um, yeah, because there's so in this book there's there's good sex. There's what we might call good sex um, with a merman. But prior to getting to that and post Lucy's breakup with her boyfriend, um, she discovers Tinder at age 38 and has um, a, a slew of bad sex. Um, I find that hilariously sex bad sex. Yeah, real, real bad. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even it's funny because even in her good sex, like even when she's having sex with a merman, I have this commitment to pleasure realism. I guess that's what I'm going to call it is pleasure realism. Like. Even if she's having sex with, like, this gorgeous fantasy merman who's, like, there just for her, um, she's still like, well, listen, I have to tell you, it might take me a while to have an orgasm. Because, like, for me, like, even if I'm having sex with a merman, like, I'm still self-conscious that it takes me too long to come, you Mm. know? And, like, I, every time I read, like, erotic fiction, um, whether it's literary erotica, which is what we're calling this book, or um, smut, I'm always like, wait, she came on page 121. Like, it would have taken me till like, page 158 to have an orgasm. Have you ever said to yourself, it doesn't take me too long to come. That's just how long it takes me to come. And Yeah, once un- I've asked, um, once I've said, like, okay, is, like, you're going to be down there for a while. Is that okay? I need to, it's like, I mean, literally with my husband, like, he is like, like, he has said, like, do you want me to wear a visor that has those words? Like, it's okay. Take as long as you want printed. Uh, it's like, I do not. I can't relax unless I have been, like, asked for permission to relax. And, like, or, like, until I'm, a, until I feel okay with the other person's comfort. I see. You know? Where do you think that comes from? Oh. I mean, like, definitely my mom. And it's about appetite. You know? It's about, like, a lack of comfort with one's own appetite and, like, trusting that. I see. Yeah. yeah. I think. That makes total sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Much easier to just, like, masturbate. Take care of it myself. NBD. You know what you want. No prob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what is it about the younger 
Mm, right, the younger. Well, um, I think it's funny, like, I began sort of on my odyssey of younger men um, at a time that was right after I had gotten married. So that felt weird because um, it was like, wait, like this whole part of my life is over, even though it wasn't because we were, that was like when we had opened up our relationship. So if anything, um, it wasn't. But also um, I, I turned 30 and I was like, I, I, I think I was like really fucking sad about time passing hmm. so there's that you know um the passing of time and the inability to stop it and i also think um so it was kind of like this this is my last chance to fuck a 20 year old without it looking super super pathetic yeah or like to be that that they would like actually want me you know like i'm right. gonna be gross soon i got you I, and, i'm seeing myself becoming gross right and when i ask you um what is it about the the young guys it that is not a judgment at all it it, to say they're hot it not that that's not a completely valid reason on its own i just sometimes would like to know it is there another thing that no i play there there's multiple layers i think also my husband's 10 years older than me and um as i talked about in so sad today in my last essay he um he's had an illness for a very long time Um, And I think when you are constantly faced with um, some, you know, when you're when you're dealing with stuff that people usually deal with at like age 70 in a partnership and you're dealing with it in your 20s and early 30s, you have this desire for um, there to be like an ease and a um, a youthful, you know, a youthful, like an infusion of youth. Mm. Um, And my husband's pretty like young of spirit, but I think. Whereas I felt that like the his illness made it so that I was never going to have like the marriage, my marriage is never going to look like my friends' marriages. Nor do I really want it to. To be perfectly honest, I mean I don't want kids, you know, um, and I wouldn't want to be with any of their husbands. But it was kind of like, I think I didn't want to be sad about his illness, and so I was like, okay, I'm not going to be sad because look what I get. You know, I get to have this like, I want this harem of younger men. Um, I get this buffet, um, and. So it's sort of like a way of perhaps like rewarding myself for staying alive and like feeling not pathetic. I always go back to this word loser. It's funny. I've been taught like I always feel like a loser. And like if I have like a sad feeling, which like, you know, I often do feel like a loser. So I try to escape it. Or like if something bad happens to me, I feel like a loser. And like we were talking about fears and that fear of not enough being not enough is like number one. And Mm. it is like, it's there every day when I wake up in the morning, it doesn't matter like what the success is. Um, and I know that it's an inside job, right? Like there's no amount of external stuff that's going to fill it, but that doesn't mean you don't reach for it. Yes. And some of the external stuff can make it feel like it fixed it. For about 15 minutes. For about 15. Yeah. And God, what a good 15 minutes those are. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. The high. The high. Love the high. Um, so when you decided to go into an open marriage, what was the fantasy that you had created in your head of what that was going to look like? Well, basically, so we were in a monogamous relationship for five years and then my husband, um, or he was my boyfriend at the time, was going down to Rio And he 
was like, do you know what goes on in Rio? And prostitution is, it's not legal there, but it's pretty much like regulated. I mean, there's like, you know, you go to like clubs and you meet a woman and it's pretty, it's much more like fluid in the culture, at least in an IRL standpoint, like in real life standpoint, whereas I feel like here a lot more happens sort of online. Anyway, nonetheless, it's like, it, it was very accessible. And I was like, you know what? I want you to have that experience. And I actually feel like I would be totally okay with you having like that physical experience. But I was like, but if you go to Rio and have this experience, like, what do I get? And he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he went and had the experience and I felt like cool with it. Um, and then, um, so we kind of negotiated and I was like, okay, well, the, the terms became that he, um, he could have experiences like this, but, um, he had to let me know all the details and usually, and ahead of time too, like we called it, um, POC, like possibility of companionship or POPC possibility of paid companionship. Mm-hmm. And cause I didn't want to be like wife in the dark. Like I wanted to know. And the reverse was true for me. So, um, he didn't want to know anything. He didn't want to know any details. Do as you will. And for the first So he didn't even want to know that you had... Uh, no, no. He didn't want to know anything. Okay. He felt much more comfortable not knowing. Okay. Whereas I was like, must know. Because it's the illusion of control thing. So for the first year, I didn't even act on it. Because I sort of knew that for myself, it would be like a Pandora's box. Not even in terms of my marriage. Just in terms of like my own peace of mind. Because I remembered what I had been like in my, you know, younger years. But then um, I felt that... I guess like once I got, once we did get married and once I sort of approached 30 and that was when I, I felt really compelled, you know? And so I had like five years of, of, uh, you know, experiencing that. But what, in your mind, what would a week look like as you entered into this time period when you were thinking, okay, I'm going to try this. Or was there no expectation? There was no expectation of what reality... That's incredible to me. Of that what is, reality would look like. That is incredible For to me, me, it was all about the fantasy, though. It's about... It's about the potentiality. You know what I'm saying? Like, how... Like, just being able to fantasize about being with someone younger and, like, the narcotic effect of that and the, the limerence, that, that word limerence, right. you know? Um... That's what it was. So you were just thinking about the feeling. You weren't thinking about a scenario or a type of guy that would bring that feeling. I mean, definitely younger because, again, like with that recapturing of youth. But it's so much less about the person than it is about ourselves. It really is. It it's really a, is. such a mirror yeah. for us. It's like, oh, I just... And, and also, I think it's funny because... With my sadness about getting older, you know, when I think about childhood, like I didn't like being a kid. You don't, you're not in control of anything. Someone's always telling you what to do. Like hated that. Didn't like being an adolescent because like people were bitches and getting bullied and, um, my body like was not doing like what I felt it was supposed to be doing. Didn't like being a teenager cause still on, still can't, you know, not in control. Every, everything's confusing. Early 20s, I was blackout drunk, so clearly I wasn't that down with reality then. So when I fantasize about youth, it's not my own youth. I want a fantasy youth I didn't experience. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sad that time is passing in my life and I'm moving away from my own youth. I want this, like, 
I want to just be like eternally like someone else at this music. I don't know. I always think music festival, not just because it's Coachella this weekend mm-hmm. when we're recording this, but um, which I've never even been to um, and really don't have a desire to go be in the heat with the youth. But um, I want someone else's youth. I want this fan. I want to be at this like eternal music festival of the mind where the sun is always setting and you're always trying having this first drug trip on some delicious drug and with somebody beautiful and you're beautiful and it is like, you know, golden. That's what I want. Would it be fair to say that there is an embracing of that that would be a door that would be safe to walk through that would make you, that would allow you to feel excited without being lame? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, probably. Like, that is the antithesis of loser. And the antithesis of judging from the outside. Yeah. Like, here's a way where I could go into the party. Yeah. But I wouldn't be at risk of looking. Right, because everything is beautiful to me. Like, in my own weird idea of perfection, you know? Um, But also... Hold on one second. I just want to adjust your microphone. It just got twisted a little bit. Oops, sorry about that. Let me... Good. Okay, talk. Okay. Hello. Perfect. Okay. So, um, yeah, that desire to capture a moment and live in there forever, you know, it's like the Keats poem, Ode to a Grecian Urn, um, or like the Grecian Urn itself. And the Grecian Urn... I'm going to pretend I know. Okay. Yes, PJ Harvey did a song about that. Yes, right? PJ Harvey, right. And then, then she carved a potato in the shape That's of... That's right. So, there's, so the Grecian Urn was... Um, it's there's on the Grecian urn there is a man chasing a woman and he is just about he's reaching out and he is just about to touch her and she's just turning around so it's like you think about maybe that moment before the hookup right Mm -hmm. where every all the potential is there I mean that's my favorite moment in the world Mm -hmm. you know like what better moment it's all about the chase it's all about the, it's all about the just as it's like about to happen, but they are frozen there forever. So they are frozen in that beautiful moment. Um, and in the Pisces, I talk a lot about this, like the desire, like why can't you freeze a moment? And I feel like for me, that's as an addict, that's the addict's conundrum. Like, you know, I could have these, a beautiful drug experience with others and the next day they were like, okay with reentering reality and going on with their lives. And I was like, no, no. Like, I want to live there. I got to live there. Like, what do you mean? Re- what do you mean not live there? Like, let's get back ASAP. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chasing the dragon, I guess one might call it. Yeah. The, my favorite feeling in the world is why I never mind getting an operation is when you are getting wheeled into surgery and a sweet nurse puts a warm blanket on you and looks you in the eyes and takes care of you and asks you if you're okay and then they put Valium in you. Ooh. It is the fu- and it lasts about 15 seconds. Yeah. And I just I will ask them oftentimes, can you just do all of this early? <laughs> My mentor calls that a freebie. Yes. With regards That's, to, yeah. 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 Um Let's. We had talked about doing some some fears and some loves. Did we answer? Yeah, I think you you uh, touched on all the questions. Younger that, men that that I had about that. Um, let's do some fears. All right. Let me look at my list. I mean, not that I really need to because they are within within me at all times. But 
uh, and I have not written anything down. You so, um, I'll, there well, will probably be long pauses while I. Well, I can't find my list. So, oh, here it is. Okay. Well, I mean, as I said, you know, the dying process, um, Mm -hmm. not so much death, but the, like I, the fear of suffocation. Yes. I was just going to say that of gasping for, for breath for like two days or a month or something like that. Yeah. Horrible. Yes. Yeah. No, not into that. Um, also I think I have a fear of like, um, you know, wrapped up in that fear of not being enough is this fear of disintegrating, like just sort of like vanishing off the planet, which is weird because it's also, that is also my deepest desire. Mm. Um, like I want to just vanish, but I want it to be like a beautiful, peaceful vanishing and not a gasping for breath type of vanishing. So you don't want to be fired, but you're okay with quitting. Bingo. That's good. Again, control. It's amazing how all of this comes back to control and being loved. It's like every emotion, every action in the world seems like it can be put back to, actually, fear, love, and the need for control. Yes. um, You tell me a a fear. uh, I have a fear of being trapped in some type of box where... I can't sit up like like to be trapped in a coffin. I know that's scary to everybody, but anything where I can't move freely, um, you know, like if I were trapped in a closet, I would be I wouldn't be OK with it. But that wouldn't be terrifying mm. to me. But to be trapped in something where I can't sit up mm. um, it, even just thinking about it, I almost start to get a, a a panic attack. And I don't know, is that claustrophobia or is that just common sense? Right. I mean, have you ever been in a coffin? No. I went in one and had them close the lid um, for, oh, I did a book trailer for So Sad Today. And I was like, I filmed it at a mortuary. <laughs> it was super fun. Um, but the coffin itself, you know, the feeling, actually, it's kind of interesting, the feeling you just described about being wheeled in, I have not had surgery in sobriety, or, or, and I have not, but I'm sure, you know, whatever. I stay alive long enough and stay, so, stay sober long enough. I'm sure it's down the road. But um, the, the coffin, it's very soft in there. Mm-hmm. It's cushy in there. Um, but you know somebody can open the lid. That wouldn't bother me yeah. if somebody was standing right there. Yeah. I'd be totally fine with that. I find it even comforting if somebody is right there that I trust. When they closed the lid, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like this was, yeah. But I, but I just, but one thing I was not expecting was how soft and cush. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is nice. It reminded me, it made me feel like, and actually when you were telling your story, it made me feel like a couple years ago I was, I was out for one of my many body dysmorphic runs because I... (laughs) You do the body dysmorphia 5K. I do body dysmorphia. Yes, I do. And instead of earning money for body dysmorphia, I'm earning, um, like, to, you know, to fight against body dysmorphia, I'm just earning body dys- more body dysmorphia. Yes. And it's interesting because everybody winds up running 10K. Yes. That's the body dysmorphia. Otherwise, they're terrible. Right. Exactly. Yes. And, and there's losers. no, like, spaghetti dinner after. <laughs> um, but. Actually, it's funny. When I was shopping for a new therapist a couple years ago, I was like going to different therapists. And um, one of them, I had gone for one of my body dysmorphic runs in like the hot 
sun like just no business out for a run like 85 90 degrees out like no business and when I got there she was like oh were you just out for a run and I said yes and she said that's wonderful that you take care of yourself in that way and I was like yeah no this done not not gonna work done she's not clever enough yeah but um so but how did we get to the body dysmorphic run um prior to that oh but I was on a body dysmorphic run um compulsively checking my phone which is part of the body dysmorphic run you know because you have to like distract yourself from the torture that you're like um putting on yourself and I tripped over the sidewalk and I fell and I really hurt my arm this was a couple years ago and I wasn't sure if it was broken or bruised or what and I and I started crying um I hadn't cried in a long time because I'm not like even though I'm so sad today account I don't um do a lot of crying because I'm kind of scared that if I start I won't stop um but anyway so I I went to the hospital to get it x-rayed um and while I was at the hospital I was just laying there on like the 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 table waiting for like a nurse to come in wearing this hospital gown very just like powerless like there was nothing really left for me to do you know and I had and it felt there felt like such a nice surrender really nice I was like there's no decisions to make I don't have to do anything yes there's no right or wrong yeah I love that place it was like the opposite of the body dysmorphic run it's like you're a baby again oh I really liked that yeah that was nice yeah. Yeah. Um, did I do the last fear or did you? I think you, I did. You did with the box. The, yeah, I did the box. The box. Okay. Um, um, not being perfect according to my own fucked ideas of perfection, whether that is, um, you know, and that can manifest like, again, in body stuff mm-hmm. um, or it can manifest as, um, you know, um, not being like superhuman and not being able to like meet the needs of um, the people who I have sort of entrusted, you know, in my care. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fear of imperfection. But again, what my ideas of perfection are like so warped and weird. Like it's not my ideas of are perfection. Are they grandiose? I wouldn't say they're grandiose. I'd say they're twisted. Okay. For example. The more kind of detail you can give to these fears, yes. the better. Okay. Um, right. So, like, perfection is, like, to be so thin that I am, like, so safely on the other side that, like, I, I couldn't even be close to being fat. Gotcha. You know, like, but, like, not just, like, thin. Like, I, I, it's, like, the safer, the further away I am, the safer it is. And so even if I, like, gain some weight, even if it's, like, I'm not remotely in the realm of fat or chubby, um, that I still, like, you know, I got to be, like, all the way over here. Gotcha. So that if you were to have a quote-unquote day of missteps yes it wouldn't put you back over the line you have in your head exactly but like i fear that day of misstep and you know what more than even like what the day of missteps would do to my body i fear what it would do to my mind that like the self-torture you know and so much of what i do i think is like negotiations with my mind Mm -hmm. you know it's it's so many of like the things that I think that I avoid or um, fear are like, I just don't want to deal with like the fucking hell that I'm going to have to pay in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I've done this one before, but it's been coming up lately. I have a fear that 
I am going to reach a point where I can't control farting and I won't be able to go to support groups anymore because it will be too excruciating for me. (laughs) At least mixed, mixed support groups. Unreal. Yeah. What age are you, are you thinking that might happen? Do you have like a, 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 a set point? No, I kind of feel it even today and I've never done it, but I'm conscious of it all the time. Like if I bend down to get, you know, my water bottle or I do something else, I'm like, is this where, is this where I ruin it all? Now, are you, would you say you're a big farter? Like in your estimation compared to the populace? I mean, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. Um, I think I'm probably average. You think you're like in the median, like, yeah, yeah, judging from the guys I hang around with. (laughs) And our freedom of uh, expression around each other. I think I'm probably average. But of course, you know, if it's something bad in our mind, we think we're the the worst of the worst. Totally. Yeah. Because I think I'm up there. Like, I think I'm probably in like 70th percentile. But it's but I'm so uptight that it's all when I go to sleep. Mm. I like, I mean, my husband's always like 10 minutes after you fall asleep. You know, it's like a valve, just like you, like you relax for the first time all day. And like, it's just like, you know, 12 hours worth of fart, (laughs) which is always hilarious. And he'll send me texts in the middle of the night. Like, so I'll wake up in the morning and there's like, it's like two, he'll be like, 2 a.m. ass blast with like the emoji with like the surgical mask over it. He's a big farter too, so like yes. you know, it's great because there's no judgment. Yeah, that's um, nice. Yeah, it is nice. That's a way to bond. It's a great way to connect. It really is allowing oneself. But yeah, no. So I definitely like I was very self conscious. I didn't like to do. I don't like to do sleepovers. Um, also, oh, because of my SSRIs, I sweat in my sleep. So, do you? I do too sometimes. Oh my god! There doesn't I'm like a seem swamp. To be, I can't sleep in clothes. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Interesting. Yes, you and just it, sometimes do, sometimes don't. Yeah, sometimes do, and sometimes it's soaking. Yeah, the sheets, and then I'll go a year without doing it. Really? Yes. Because I'm like every fucking night. Yeah. Yeah, but I have to sleep naked. We have two blankets on my bed, and like. It gets cold at night in my house, and I'm like, I want to be under Big Puffy. Can't be under Big Puffy. Got to be under, like, Thin Willy. Mm-hmm. Because Thin Willy, the sweat will be... If I'm under Big Puffy, I mean, it's like I wake up and, like, literally the whole bed is drenched. Yes. And, and it feels great at first. Yeah. When you lay down. Oh. It's so womb-like. Oh, yeah. But there's no Big Puffy for me anymore. Those yes. The days of Big Puffy are long gone. Yes. Yeah, no. You can't... You won't find me in a comforter. Uh, so what's your fear? Um, okay. A fear of, okay. So I think it's getting worse. I've always had this fear of like, and this is more, I guess, a phobia when like weird patterns in nature, like when meat is really striated or when like a pancake starts to bubble and the bubbles are all close together or like when wood has a really weird pattern, it creeps me out. Really? Yes. There's a name for it. And I'll tell you, I found out what the name was. Hold on. I'll tell you in a second. And, I'll sh- and I actually... Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah. I didn't know it had a name until recently. Fear of patterns and clusters. Tryptophobia. Like, okay, I'm showing right now, I'm showing 
Paul a picture of sort of a plant that looks almost like a waffle, and it literally makes me want to die. What? It is, um, it's a type of lotus. Does that make you, like, want to scream? No. Okay. I'm going to show you one more. That's, it's a gross image. It's a hand. If you Google tryptophobia audience, you will see this, or like a honeycomb. Oh my God. Like this to me is like the worst thing. And is it asymmetry that, that bothers you or I is it just kind of texture? It's, and it's just texture all close together with like holes. Like this to me, uh, there's a picture of a hand that looks like it has a honeycomb in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like, it, it, it's like the way I, I don't care about spiders, spiders. Mm-hmm. I'm chill with spiders. I, you know. Snakes, no problem. I understand what people feel like who have a phobia. That doesn't do anything to you? Mm -mm. Like terrifying? No. To me, it is like, or even like barnacles. Yeah. Oh my God. Like it makes my skin crawl. So groupings of things. Groupings of things. Groupings of things that are, um, yeah. I mean, the definition for tryptophobia according to this, is a proposed phobia of irregular pa- irregular patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps. So a screen on a window wouldn't be bad. Screen's all good because it's like they're all... It's consistent. Yeah, it's that it's little, it's clusters of inconsistent patterns. And actually, it says it was only 2005 that this became mm. like, that that there was a word for it with the, with the internet. Because I guess... People didn't really know and wood in, grain, like certain types of right. wood grain. And in your mind, it makes me want to cry. Wow. Yeah. And in your mind, it's really upsetting. Are those patterns flaws? I don't think it's that linear. It's almost like it's like literally physical nausea. But yes, yes. I think they are flaws. I think they are flaws, and I feel as though there is something being revealed to me. It's almost like the doom I might feel back in the day when I used to take psychedelics and was having a bad trip. Like it's mm-hmm. almost, it is a fear of of that mystery that lies within me. I think it's definitely a fear of the unknown. I think it is like a fear that there is a reality that is beyond me um, and that like uh, must be loss of control again. Mm -hmm. It must be loss of control again. I think I know what you're talking about and I've experienced it a couple of times and it for me it's the feeling that the darkness that I that exists in the world or may exist in the world, the real darkness, the hair-raising darkness, even though I've told myself it's not going to touch you, it is now sitting up in its coffin, and it has you in its sights, and it's coming towards you, and you can't run. And also that, yes, and I think for me it's also that, like, the the darkness is the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been fooling myself. Like choose love, you know? And, and truthfully, some of them the other day, I was talking to somebody about God and they were saying, well, like I just can't believe in God or um, a higher power in a world where like, you know, bad things happen. This is a very common feeling, right? Which I totally get. And I was like, well, for me, I don't necessarily believe God's in control of everything. I believe that there is a very powerful force, God, um, that is love. And then there is also a negative force. And these things both 
exist, right? But like, so when I come to this fear though, it's that like, no, like the darkness eclipses the love, like the belief in a higher power or love, that love is equally as powerful. That was an illusion. Mm -hmm. That was not true. And not only that, sometimes it gets even darker where it's like, I am part of the darkness. I am contributing to the darkness. And that's Mm. when I start to get into like, listen, you capitalist American. Like, why didn't you recycle that bottle of Coke Zero? You Mm. know, why aren't you vegan? Like animal suffering. Like you are causing suffering. There is an evil within you. And that's why the darkness is coming for you because you've earned this hell. I've earned the hell. Yeah. yeah, I've earned the hell and I'm contributing to the hell. And because I have contributed to the hell, it's a bottomless hell. And I do not deserve the light. Because mm. I have not, which is weird because I do think I do some things in my life to bring light to people. Actually, like now I'm like, now that I think about it, I'm not that bad, you know? Now that I say these things, I'm like, wait, I help a lot of people um, when I don't feel like it. Yeah, which is the real purest form of help. Yeah. One of my friends said service begins where convenience ends. Mm. Because who fucking feels like it? I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like if being of service is our solution to depression and addiction and getting out of ourselves. I mean, it's like, like I said, you know, when I'm feeling the spiritual emptiness, it's not my first thought to like turn to go meditate. It's also not my first thought to be like, let's help someone. Right. It's my first thought to be like. Let's go get like some like, you know, some boxes of juji fruits and like, let's try to get someone like hot interested in us and <laughs> let's try to get some validation on the Internet. Let's try to like succeed at something and get a ten- You know, I mean, those are like much more. Yeah. Natural reactions. Oh, I to- get it. That's that video game you see over there. Yeah, that's that's where I go when I don't like how I feel. That's sweet, though, that because the video game. Paul's talking about it's like a it's like an old school it's a it standing video game yeah and when I was drinking that was my favorite bar game oh. and it's it uh, I get a sense it, it sounds so fucked up but I'm good at it so I get a sense of myself from playing it and like if you can play online and you can compete nationally every day against other people. And if I post with the, that machine, yes. And if I post the best score nationally on a given day, I feel enough. Wow. And if I don't, sometimes I will go to bed, you know, because I'll eventually have to go to bed. I'll feel like like I failed somehow. Not like a you're it's more of a feeling mm. intellectually. I know it's just a game, but I didn't. It's almost like I have to purge the feeling of being a loser. Mm. And that allows me to kind of vomit that that out. I totally feel you. Because a score tells me. There's a touch of OCD vibes in there. Yeah, absolutely. Puro. Yeah, Yeah. I, I need... I need something that isn't open to interpretation mm. to tell me I'm good at something. I totally hear that. I mean, that's the weight thing for me, yes. you know, it, which which it's so funny because it is open to interpretation. But like a number, you know, that's why I had to stop weighing myself. But it's like a number on my scale. It's like, OK, great. This is telling me how I to feel about myself for the rest of the day. You know, um, it's very scary to trust 
one's or if it's even possible i mean i guess some people like walk around the world telling them you know having kind of a sense of self and it's like okay this is but like to have to like right like to base how we feel about ourselves on like a subjective reality or let anything be enough it's like whoa it's scary because there's really nuance scary. there's yeah. nuance yeah. Can we do some loves? Because I was I, just going to say. I, um, I'm now picturing the hand with the honeycomb. <laughs> I like can't get the hand with the honeycomb out of my mind, and I feel as though I need to like replace it with something that I love. <laughs> give, me, give me something you love. The more, honeycomb hand. The more detailed, the better. That's the other thing, too. Once I start looking at those images, it's like I like, I, I like push myself with them. I'm like, ooh, let's, let's like taunt. Yeah. yeah. Let's feel something, it's even stimulus. if it's shitty. Even yes. if it's shitty, let's feel it. Yep. Um, I mean, I fucking love a nap. Call it a depression nap. Call it what you may. Um, I love a nap. And are you able to um, not shame yourself? Yeah, I don't nap shame. I, I, That's great. I sometimes nap hypochondriaize, hypochondriaize, um, wherein I'll think, wow, there must be something really wrong with you. Like your depression must be getting worse or, um, so I guess that's, that's a bit of the shaming. Yes. Um, or like, um, you know, I worry about the amount that I'm napping, but, um, but like the enjoyment just takes over. Now I think we might've discussed naps last time. How, where are you with naps? Um, since I started, um, being prescribed Adderall much better. It mm. used to be that I would get up at noon and I would be back in bed by four because mm. the world just felt like it was too much. Mm. And now I will maybe twice a week I'll nap for an hour. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's been such a game changer mm. for me. So, but I never shame myself that's for, great. for taking a nap. I, that's awesome. Yes. And if I catch myself starting to, I will remember how counterproductive that is and that I deserve a nap. I deserve to be, I am worthy of rest. Yeah. Even if it's emotional rest. Yeah. Well, that's what, one thing that was really interesting to me in, there's this ebook that I love um, that has gotten me through some pretty tough cycles of panic attacks. It's called Panic Away. I talk about it like all the time. And literally when I first got it, it was a Microsoft Word document online with a picture of the dude who wrote it skydiving because he had overcome his anxiety. Like, it was nothing. And now, and this was many, many years ago, and now he, like, like um, his name is Martin, or, I'm sorry, Barry, not Martin McDonough, Barry, that's a playwright, Barry McDonough, he's Irish. I've actually gotten to talk to him, which was, like, so cool. Like, some people want to have dinner with, like, John Lennon. Like, I just want to have dinner with the anxiety dude. But not <laughs> dinner, because that means sitting face-to-face -face across the table. But, like, on the phone. Right, I was like meeting my hero, but, um, so he, but, um, one, one thing that was very interesting from that book that I learned was that it's not like, I was like, Oh, like there are certain things that make me more susceptible to having panic attacks. Like, Oh, when I'm physically stressed, Oh, when I'm emotionally stressed or sp like, um, spiritually stressed, you know, or intellectually stressed, like there are, there are all different types of stress that sort of wear down my immune system and then, um, or my spiritual or psychological immune system mm -hmm. and make me more susceptible to kind of falling into this place of um, having a really bad one, which will then kick off others. And it was, so it's interesting when you say like worthy of rest and also mental rest, mm -hmm. um, because yeah, it's hard for me to let myself rest. Like it's very hard. Um, Cause I guess I, I don't know that I feel I deserve it. 
Um, I gotta say, I don't. But naps, I, I can I can shut because because yes. a nap is like a it's like a treat, you know. Don't take this the wrong way, but I don't think you deserve rest. It's okay. I think if you get better at some things in your life and work harder, you will deserve it. But right now, no. I think it would be selfish for you to to ever rest. Yeah. So. And also, like to um, to cancel things, um, shouldn't do that. You know what my, my you know what my favorite kind of friend is. Mm-hmm. A friend who can always be counted on to cancel. Really? Oh, I adore it. Because you know why? Then I don't have to cancel. Oh, I have experienced that where like now they are the one that have the shame because they don't know I was going to call in five minutes and cancel. It's so beautiful. Yes. When you want to cancel, but you're like, no, I'll just do it. And then the person's like, I can't do it. It's like, I feel like. It's like a new lease on life, baby. Mm-hmm. It is like the angel, an angel got its wings. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I love when someone else cancels. That is something I deeply love. That is a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. Um, Unless we're supposed to be like having sex, you know. And then that's crushing. And then that's crushing. Crushing. Blow. Crushing blow. Um, There's a musical one. I love uh, the song uh, Wild World by Cat Stevens, how you can hear the pick on the strings of his guitar. And it's just, there's something so soothing about it. You can tell that it's a thin pick You can because you can hear it bending. Mm. And I love when there is a texture an audio texture in a song that is unique and it just feels I don't know it, it's you feel like you're there mm-hmm. there's something three-dimensional about it that maybe you're the only person who notices it mm-hmm. um, I don't know it's hard to put into words but it just soothes me Hmm. Much more than the song itself. I, I like the song, but I love that sound hmm. of that thin pick on the on the strings. That's nice. I love the song. The first cut is the deepest. That's, that's a I would say one. that's my fave of his. Um, and his hair. I love Harold Best and Maude. Best hair ever. Yeah, Cat Stevens. He had good, he had good hair. Oh. Has. I don't know yeah. what his hair's yeah. doing now. Yeah, seventies Cat Stevens. Seventies. Just Cat Stevens. oh my god. Before oh. the conversion. Yes, because I think he cut his hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I love Harold and Maude. Fucking great movie. Yeah, and the whole soundtrack, it's, that was, I was like, oh. And Bud Court was like my first sexual ideal probably as a kid. Really? Yeah, because I know it's so strange because he's like into death and he's like, there's something about, I guess, him being with an older woman, even though I was younger than Bud Court when I first mm-hmm. like imprinted. Um, and yeah, like it's that dark it's okay. You know what it is? It's like, if you can get the dark boy who doesn't love anything to love you, then you must be really special. It's very easy to get someone who's capable of love to love you. That doesn't necessarily mean you're special or capable of joy to feel joy. It's like, great. It's the ultimate chase. It's the ultimate. Yes. If they're incapable of joy and they, you get them to feel joy. It's like, well, I must be magic. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, but I was going to say, actually, there was a song. I love the feeling of, so the other day I, um, could not 
um, remember the name of this song and I couldn't remember how it went. I couldn't remember. I didn't know if I knew all the lyrics and I didn't even know if it existed. Like I was like, did I dream it? And I, I went hardcore searching for this song. Um, and it's from the sixties. It's a 1965 song, um, that I remembered hearing. I thought I remembered hearing the car with my dad when he listened, used to listen to oldies 98 when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. Um, and I found it. And it's the song I Do by the Marlowe's. It's like they only had one other hit. They had two hits. It was they were from Chicago. Um, no, the Marvelos. The Marvelos. The Marvelos. The Marvelos. Um, and it's called I Do. And it's like, and I, I don't How's know. it going? Um, oh, you don't want to. Um, you don't want me to sing it. It's, 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 um, it's like, you know, and I was singing it to my dog. Um, and I was like, wait, does this song exist? And then it took me like a literally like a full day of, of a lot of like researching to mm-hmm. find it. And I was singing into Shazam. Like I was trying to hum into Shazam. That is fucking hilarious. I was at the end of my tether trying to find yes. this song. Um, and, um, it was hard to find, but then like once I found it, it was, it was mm-hmm. so delightful. And I listened to it like 40 times. Oh my God. I know. I'm really into it. I love the delicious sadness of the song um, When Will I See You Again by the three, I think it's the three degrees or the third degrees. I think it's the three degrees. It was a song in the 70s right around the time I um, started having crushes on girls. Mm. And I remember... Uh, There was a girl that I was in love with. She was my girlfriend, and then she broke up with me. And it went, that song always reminds me of her. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I I so often feel numb that it, it allows me to feel something. But I feel the sadness of that 11 or 12 year old boy in a way that, um, I don't know. Does it remind me I'm alive? I I don't know. But it is. It's not like the sadness of someone died. It's more the sadness of this is the pain of existing and experiencing love, even if it's in the form of your love being rejected. Such a beauty, too. It's an amazing song. Yeah. Yeah. And is Dancing this Queen. The beginning? Yes. Or is this the end? And especially the beginning where she, ooh, when ah. will I see you again? Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I, yeah, I wonder if some of the chase of fantasy is like just trying to get that feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe not the rejection feeling, but the other side, the flip the, side. The big stakes. Yeah, yeah. Because so much, much of life is mundane. It's yeah. like... I suppose that's why people gamble. Yeah. To win big or lose big. Either way, you got the adrenaline of something's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. The potentiality. Yeah. It's all about that because that's hope. It really is. Grecian Urn. Just about to touch her shoulder, Mm -hmm. but not. Yes. Um, Little do you know she's going to have an asymmetric rash and you're going to vomit. Yeah. And you're going to catch the rash. Yes. Yeah. And her arm's going to fall off in your hand. Yes. Um, I love 
eating in my car alone in a parking lot, particularly these miniature diet cheesecakes I've discovered that I first found them on the East Coast at this one like bodega in Brooklyn. Um, but I have since found them at Gelson's here. Mm-hmm. And I love to go to Gelson's, do my grocery shopping, buy two of the mini cheesecakes, and sit in my get in my car in the parking lot and hunched over like a rat, eat them very <laughs> methodically, one and then the next, eat two of them, um, with the heat blasting on my feet. That to me is like as close as I can get to the womb. But I don't want to take the cheesecake home. I don't want to be in the world with the cheesecake. I want to be in that parking lot, preferably in the dark, Mm -hmm. in my car. And the part that I love about it, and I think I get this, is that there's two of them. So when you finish the first one, you get to go, I get to do it again. Because there's a sadness to finishing Whatever it is that you're eating emotionally. One would be like yes. worse than none. Yes. Two. Two makes. Right. With two also. It's kind of like Saturday, Sunday. Like I don't yes. like Sunday. Right. You know. I mean now I don't work in an office. Thank God. So Sunday's whatever. But growing up. Sunday's horrible. Even though you're off. But it's Friday. It's Friday. Saturday that are good. Friday you're at school. But somehow Friday when you're at school is better than Sunday when you're going to be going to school. It kind of reminds me of your thing about you wanted to be so skinny you're not even close to the edge. That's what's so great about Saturday. Yes. Whereas Sunday, the impending doom is right there, which is in many ways worse than the doom. Much worse. The nebulous feeling of it's going to suck. Monday's not as bad as Sunday. Yes. I mean, like, Monday sucks, but it's like, okay, we're here. We're here already. We're doing it. Yeah. It's like jumping in the pool that you think you're going to freeze to death. Yes. Standing there waiting to jump in is much worse than... Way worse. 10 seconds into it, and you're like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Way worse. Way worse. Uh, Let's do one more love each. Okay. You go. Um, I love making something to eat or making something to drink for somebody when when they come over and I feel like it's a way of um, showing them that I care about them and that I can do something well. Mm. So it's kind of about them, but it's also I get to make it about me because I get to show off that I, you know, I can do this well. Mm. Um, well, I'm glad I got the tea. You're welcome. And it's a great cup of tea. You did it very well. If you had said it was, it, it was just okay. Yeah. Um, That's it. Yeah, my day would be done. Devastation. Yeah. I like my dog, all of his weird smells. Like, I love the smell of the inside of his ear, which is such a weird smell. Yeah, I can't get behind that one. Yeah. The bad breath I can, the Frito feet. Love it. Yes. The different, like, but it's like other dogs, I'm like, ooh, you smell disgusting. Yes. My dog, his disgusting smells. I am like, you are like a delicious roast chicken. They're they're like our... He just smells like pee. They're like our own farts. Yes. Um, I don't like wet dog smell, though. No, I don't really. I mean, my dog, my dog is like barely any fur. So, yeah. I, you know, I haven't yes. really encountered that. But as much with him. Also, in L.A., there's very rarely yeah. wet dog. But and what's your dog's name? Pickle. Oh, what a fucking He's great He's the love man. of my life. That's so great. The great love. 
Well, Melissa, thank you for for coming by. And uh, her book is called The Pisces. And we'll put links to all of that stuff. You can follow her on Twitter, which I highly recommend. Her tweets are fucking great. Uh, You can follow her at So Sad Today. And she says a shitload of of followers. Uh, What, like half a million? Yes. I hate you. That's still not enough. (laughs) Great way to end. Uh, I love talking to her. Buy her book. It is good. It is good. There aren't many people that write about romantic obsession like she does. And sex. Um... Before I get to the surveys, uh, I want to remind you guys, there's a couple different ways to support the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can make a one-time donation through uh, either PayPal or Zelle, now accepting Zelle donations. Uh, That's spelled Z-E-L-L-E. And the email address you would send them to, uh, the donation would be mentalpod at gmail.com. Uh, You can also become a monthly donor through Patreon or PayPal, but I prefer Patreon because then I can occasionally give you guys freebies like, you know, maybe raffling off a hotel room at a podcasting festival, stuff like that. Um, All the links to this are on uh, the show notes for this episode. And there's a GoFundMe page raising money for the trip to uh, go record, uh, go record my people, my ancestors. My Irish friends, um, really looking forward to that. I've never been. I can't believe I've never been. Um, okay, I'm going to read a couple of uh, soyves. This is, do I want to start off with this one? Yes, I just want to read one portion of this. This was filled out by, um, even though it's a shame and secret survey, it was filled out by a guy who calls himself Rest in Power Herbert. And uh, Herbert says hello, the ghost of Herbert. And the ghost of Herbert's butthole says hello. But... Um, his deepest, darkest secrets is, is what I wanted to read. He writes, when I was very young, about four to five years old, my mom took me to meet somebody named Curtis. All I remember is my mom and Curtis going behind some 70s beads hanging in a doorway and eventually hearing moans and groans, but being too tired or uninterested to investigate. On the ride home, my mom told me not to tell my dad that we went to Curtis's house. I obliged. Kind of. The next morning, I remember sitting at the kitchen table and blurting out to my dad's face, Daddy, Mommy did not go to Curtis's house. I just remember silence at that point. (laughs) Thank you for that. As the Germans would say, Fantastische. This is a Shame and Secrets survey filled out by... I believe it's a woman who calls herself Awfulsome Orchard. Um, uh, Actually, uh, she is 17 years old, and um, she is identifies as bisexual, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Um, And this survey... I truly don't know what to say um, other than please go talk to someone because I normally I have opinions on what someone should do, 
but um, let me read it first. Uh, I'm laying in bed. I just had a threesome, uh, and in parentheses, I think, question mark, with two of my closest girlfriends. We were all drunk and discussed it before, and it was consensual. We've all kissed before, but I've never been involved in something like this. They both went down on me, and hypothetically, it'd be all fun and games. But I was barely drunk compared to them. I thought maybe this would help me feel confident in my bisexuality. But I'm laying here now, barely clothed, and I feel slightly violated and consumed with guilt. I gave consent throughout the whole thing and felt pleasure. But it's wrong. One is a worship leader in church and the other had a sexually abusive father. I'm stuck in a dreaded gray area because consent was given from all parties, but there is now this heavy burden on my shoulders from this. As I'm reading this again, though, I'm thinking it it seems as if your guilt is because you feel that you have done something wrong um, because I, you say one is a worship leader in church. I don't know why that would make it wrong. Um, and because the other one had a sexually abusive father, I don't understand how that would make it wrong unless it was clear that she was coming from a place of trauma in in doing this but continuing um there is now a heavy burden on my shoulders from this i'm 17 i have a boyfriend though i'm trying to cut things off we all said nothing would change from this but i don't think they will be for me on top of my heavily fucked up mental state i have another event i can't classify in my mind and i don't know how i'm going to feel about my friends in the morning i love them dearly but i'm afraid i've lost some of the only friends i have i'm alone the inside of my bottom lip is pulsing from being bitten so hard. I have to be up in four hours for work, and one of them is my co-worker. I'm broken. Uh, she's also been emotionally and physically abused in her life, but she doesn't specify. Darkest thoughts, I think about killing those closest to me. Darkest secrets, I went skinny dipping with my neighbor when I was in second grade. He was two years older. His mom came out and said, and saw us and said, looks like you two are having fun out here in a supportive tone. Um, that actually sounds like a pretty healthy response from a, from a parent. Um, uh, assuming that there wasn't a power imbalance between you and the other kid. Um, yeah, and, and, and the rest of it... Um, what do you wish for? I wish for peace of mind and clarity. I really wish I wasn't alive, but I don't have the willpower to take my life. I've shared my suicidal ideation with my mother and doctor, but have received no help. I'm only shamed and my feelings are dismissed. I feel empty, like I'm destined for this life of hollowness and shitty Monday nights like tonight. I feel so alone and isolated. I know how hard and, and what, if anything, would you say to someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I know how hard it is to feel so alone all the time, but remember, this will pass and you'll get back on track and where you need to be with time and devotion. You know, I don't have all the details of this, but it sounds like you are shaming yourself um, with the belief that um, homosexuality is a sin. And if that is the case, um, I would like to offer an opposing uh, viewpoint, which is um, if it's consensual between people and things are transparent and there's no manipulation or disrespect 
um, how, how is that sinful? Um, but it's your church. It's your beliefs. Um, but it sounds like there is stuff underneath, you know, the fact that you have suicidal ideation and you've gone to your mother and your doctor and you've received no help and you feel shamed and your feelings dismissed, that, to me, is the place to begin. And that might be feeding some of the feelings you're feeling right now about what you just experienced with your friends. I don't know. It, I, I don't know if I've ever been as confused reading a survey like this one, but it's different than, than a lot of the surveys that, that I read. And so I wanted to, to read it. Um, because I, um, I feel for you. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is I feel for you and I want to let you know that whatever it is that you are struggling with right now, you are trapped in what sounds like an unsupportive home and probably feels like your life is not yours. Before you know it, you will be 18 years old and you will be able to decide how to live your life and what is um sinful quote unquote or not and um that to me is the beginning of a chance to lead a life that you dream about where you feel free and respected um but sometimes we have to let go of what other people think of areas of our lives and that's part of becoming an adult is becoming comfortable with other people disapproving of us or even hating us. Um, that's part of becoming an adult. And I urge you not to wait until you're 48 like I am or I was when I started getting help for my people pleasing. And I still care desperately about what people think about me, but much less so than I did before. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is your feelings about this is that is the thread to keep pulling at to get better, to feel healthier. Don't discount whatever it is you're feeling. You sounds like you are raised, being raised in a really emotionally invalidating environment. F fuck the people that invalidate your emotions. That is not love. That's narcissism and the pathway to becoming the person we want to be is honoring our feelings, trying to make sense of them, and then discovering tools so that we can express them in a way that betters our lives and hopefully betters the lives of people around us. And nothing can get in the way like people-pleasing, toxic people around us. This is an awful some moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Endless Ideas, No Motivation. And she writes, after finally getting on the right meds, I realized maybe my husband isn't always to blame. Don't think I'll share that with him, though. Oh, you should share it with them. That would really help. I know when I got on meds, and especially after I got sober, um, 
saying to my ex that I could see much more clearly what a dick I can be. And um, I think that meant a lot to her because sometimes people will feel like they're crazy. You know, if, if someone is always denying their experience. Um, so that might help your marriage. Or fuck him. Um, Chris Luna struggles with ADD and OCD. And this is a snapshot. Uh, I don't remember if it's a he or a she uh, from their life. I was trying to explain to my significant other why I don't like touching the metal doorknob in my house. It makes a metal smell on my skin. Uh, I think it's dirty, but it's not just that. It's if I touch anything after that, then that new thing is dirty and I have dry skin and my hands can bleed or have problems from this, so I don't want to wash off my hands natural oils. So it's a huge pressure between washing my hands or not. It sounds super simple, but it's like this weight that makes me not be able to think or do. Trying to explain this thing brought out the anxiety and ADD of me. I can't think or concentrate and I got angry and and so my significant other probably thinks I'm crazy because I'm freaking out over washing my hands and ah, that's how she ended it or he. <sighs> yes. And it sucks that OCD is uh, so minimized and turned into a punchline um, by people and I'm guilty of it, but... Um, yeah. Uh, this is the from the babysitter survey and uh, the second second name referencing Herbert um, filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, if I were only Herbert's butthole. For those of you that are new listener listeners, Herbert is my late dog who um, whose whose butthole was uh, a running joke on the show. Let's see. She is in her 40s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, and she was the babysitter, and she felt something very sexual. She writes, uh, I was 12 or 13. He was two to three years old. My mom made me bathe with him so he wouldn't, quote, fall. Uh, I was pissed off at her and at the whole world. My frustrations of a controlling, lazy mom and a high sexual interest, um, parentheses, I've been witness to pornography since I can remember, I thought a stupid thought. Uh, you'll die a miserable virgin. You haven't even had a dick in your mouth. So I dove under the bathwater and quickly put my open lips over his baby boy penis. Immediately, I felt intense hatred towards myself and vowed never to do such a thing again. I haven't, but I have harbored the shame for over 28 years. Uh, I have never told a soul. Remembering uh, these things, what feelings come up, disgust, embarrassment, shame, sorrow, grief, regret, hatred, wonder, worry, in that order. Um, do you feel any damage was done? Uh, I know he didn't even notice I'd done it, but I knew the damage was in me. Uh, if you are a parent, has your experience influenced how you view your children being babysat? I watched my children like a hawk, making sure I screened friends for play dates and such. Then my husband molested our daughter. I felt I couldn't trust anyone after that. Not anyone. And... Um, I just want to say, if you if you haven't listened to the 
thing where I was talking about shame uh, before the interview, um, go back and listen to that because you are clearly not somebody who is going to do this again. You were a child, and there's a lot of red flags. The fact that your mom made you bathe with him so he wouldn't, quote, fall, that's totally unnecessary. Um, uh, babysitters bathe kids all the time without needing to get in the tub with him. So I think there's a lot of shit going on uh, underneath here. And you grew up in a really fucked up environment. And I'm not, I'm not excusing anybody ever doing something, but it's time to let it go and forgive yourself. My God, you're, you're not that person anymore. And nothing is being gained by shaming yourself. You know, I'd suggest finding a picture of yourself from that age, remembering how fucked up your household was, and looking at that picture of yourself at that age and saying, it's okay, you didn't know, you were confused, I love you. I know that sounds super fucking cheesy, but I'm a jackass that told dick jokes on basic cable while I made chicken. That's the best I can do. And finally, this is a happy moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself kissed by a dementor. And she writes, I'm embarrassed that it's so hard for me to think of a happy moment. They seem so fleeting, but I know that they do happen and not all infrequently. I think my happiest moments when I was a kid was when I was outside during those days when it's a perfect temperature of 78 degrees with a slight breeze and a warm sun. I would pick a quiet place in my front yard and read Shakespeare, Tom Sawyer, Harry Potter, Molly Moon, all taking up my time and distracting me from how unhappy I was. I miss those days. Nowadays, my happiest moments are with my best friend Dylan, or when I can have a day with my mother without my dad around. I love the small moments, laughing over a dumb joke that makes absolutely no sense to anyone else until tears come to our eyes and we're gasping for breath. Talking for six hours straight and absolutely understanding each other in a way only two best friends can. Bonding with a mother without the specter of an emotionally draining father hanging over you. Those moments that aren't big or worth putting on Facebook but mean the most and add a little spark in a life sometimes difficult to live. I love the feeling of warmth you get when you're doing something you love with someone you love. When when you can sit in silence and absolute comfort. When you can have a little respite. Those are my happiest moments. The small moments in life that can ultimately mean so much. That was so beautiful. That was like a little poem. Thank you for that. I'm all about the little sublime moments sublime moments throughout the day. It's just If I can string together four or five sublime little moments of just keeping my head where my feet are, noticing things around me, um, especially positive things, God, it goes a long way. It really does. It's, um, yeah. Well, I hope uh, if you're out there and you're struggling, you heard something tonight that gave you a little glimmer of hope, picked up your spirits, made you laugh, made you think. Um, and and I hope it drove home the truth that you are not alone. And um, just never forget that. 
We are everywhere. <laughs> we are everywhere. Nobody has their shit together. Everybody is afraid. And um, just keep moving forward. Keep getting up and dusting yourself off. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.